Again, Camp Wilds, they leave tomorrow. Please be in prayer for them. Uh, spiritual gift study, as we've announced before, starts June 25th. There's two dates in July at 1 o'clock on Tuesday, June the 25th. Lunch precedes at noon. On the 30th, we will host Youth Camp Worship Rally with a couple other local churches. Bryson is on vacation today. Uh, be in prayer for Brooke and Bryson as they travel and spend the week with their family. Uh, but he did want me to emphasize t-shirt orders are due the 23rd, so sign up now for youth camp if you're planning on going. Money's due May the 30th, so a couple of weeks for the money, and then be in prayer for our youth camp. Hey, we had a great week of Bible school here at Glenlock. We had around 60 or so children and 30-some-odd workers every night. So grateful for the ministry of, of, of our children, or to, to our children in the week of Bible school that we had. We will have a luncheon next Sunday after morning worship to thank our volunteers. So if you worked in Bible school, we want to show our appreciation by feeding you next Sunday after church, if you worked in any capacity, if you held the door open for somebody, okay? <laughs> and some of you think, well, I think I drove by Bible school this week. Can I come? Yeah, you can come and eat if you drove by Bible school, if your conscience will allow you to do that. So this is for you and your family if you help with Bible school. Again, I want to thank our church. I'm so grateful for our church family. This was a busy week. Not only did it include Bible school, but a funeral service for our beloved friend Tommy Stutz. And a lot had to be coordinated by many of you for that family to feed, to host the worship service. I just want to thank our church for being so willing to volunteer your time and your energy and your love to minister to the children of our community and to the families of our community in their time of need and loss. I heard a pastor say one time, it's not how high you jump in the service, it's how your feet hit the ground out there where you're walking around. And this week I thought our church, I'm grateful for our church and how we responded to the needs of those around us. Okay, I think that's all for now. Todd Hanley, our Deacon of the Week, is going to share a word with us and then pray. And then our children are going to sing some of the songs that they learned this week at Bible school. Todd, thank you. Good morning. Happy Father's Day again to all those fathers out there. The scripture passage for today is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, I just come to you now, Lord, and I just uh, I thank you for this day. Lord, and I thank you for this um, passage of Scripture. Lord, I thank you 
for being a, such an excellent father to all of us, Lord. And I just um, pray that you would help me to, to be the father that you would have me to be and the man that you'd have me to be. Uh, I pray that you be with Neil as we go through this worship service. Lord, be with the children as they come to sing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For a minute as we set up these microphones. So this week at Vacation Bible School, um, we have just a small sample of the kids who are here. Um, our theme for the week was In the Wild, and basically the kids, oh y'all come out here to um, So all week long they were studying um, this whole big theme of In the Wild, and that went with all the encounters that God experiences in the Bible. So they, um, the first night studied how, um, what was the first night? How he knew why he came and how they thought, you know, he was hiding, but he wasn't hiding. He was in the temple because he knew that's where his father wanted him to be. The second night he went down um, and was baptized by John the, John the Baptist. And when he was baptized, when he came back up, what happened, y'all? The heavens opened up, just proving even more that he was the son of God. The son of God. And then the second night, we um, studied how you've got to keep your eye on him and just proving his power because who was that guy in the boat? Peter. Peter walked on water. water. But when he took his eyes off Jesus, he quickly drowned. Sank, right? So we learned that we got to keep our eyes on Jesus, okay? And then um, the next night, we studied the most miraculous part of our faith and the most important thing for them to learn, and that's that Jesus did what? What was empty? The tomb was empty, but what was laying there? Yeah, the cloths were laying there perfectly, right? So all week long, they got to experience just the wild things that happen in the Bible, but more so learn that they're not just encounters, but real things that happen and that build our faith. Um, and there's their week, their um, motto for the week is something that we can all 100% apply to our lives. And I'm going to let them tell you the motto on the count of three. One, two, three. Zoom in on Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to let them sing their um, theme song for you now.
If you'll stand, we're going to um, all sing together in worship. We're going to sing um, Glorify Thy Name into Victory in Jesus.
song for you that just talks about that experience down at the river um, and it's called what God has done Miss Judy and Miss Abby and Scott was here with us for VBS2, did a really good job working with them on that music throughout the week. And um, we're now going to have a time to kind of focus on our father since it is Father's Day as well. And I'm going to call Miss Crystal Root up for that um, special recognition. Good morning. Okay, I'm going to have to read from my notes or I'm going to forget something. So, Neil asked me if I would do this today. I said, sure, why not? I had no problem getting up here talking. <laughs> but I have to tell you, it's been a rough two weeks coming up with something to say. Not because I didn't know what to say, but it has been an emotional roller coaster, I have to tell you. So, today we want to honor our fathers and our father figures. 
First, I would like to start by telling you a little bit about my daddy and all the other father figures I had growing up. Much like all of you, I loved my daddy very much. Even though I never heard the words, I love you, because his generation, those words weren't spoken freely as they are today. He was a Christian man. He was a deacon. He showed me how to love people and love God. He was also a prankster, which was his way of showing you how much he loved you. He didn't believe in spanking little girls, because all little girls were princesses, especially his girls. Jeff says he's paying for that one now. But my time with my daddy was cut short. He died in an automobile accident when I was 16. I thought I had lost everything. But I soon realized I was surrounded by father figures willing to help me whenever I needed it. You see, I'm from a very large family. Just from my mama's and my daddy's siblings alone, I had 12 uncles. Yeah, 12 uncles. I could call on any time. I also had an older brother who was trying his best to help. But he was already married with a family, and he was also grieving. I had my best friend, Dad, who lived across the street. He was always there if I called him. And when my grades started slipping in high school after my daddy died, my high school counselor, Mr. Carmichael, stepped up and mentored me and got me back on the right track. And even after all the support I had, I found myself having to become sort of a father figure to my little brother, helping my mama wrangle him in because he was starting to act up. I feel truly blessed to have had all these men in my life to make me the person I am today. And I wish each and every one of you could come up here and tell me about your dad or your father figures that helped mold you and make you who you are. I came across this little thing written by Paul Harvey, and if any of you young ones don't know who Paul Harvey is, you really need to look him up. He is very, very profound. It's called What Are Fathers Made Of? A father is a thing that's forced to endure childbirth without anesthetic. Father's a thing that growls when it feels good, laughs very loud when it's scared half to death. A father never feels entirely worthy of the worship in a child's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks he is. He's never quite the man his son believes him to be. And this worries him sometimes. So he works too hard to try and smooth the rough places in the road for those of us who will follow him. A father is a thing that gets very angry when the first school grades aren't as good as they should be. He scolds his son though he knows it's the teacher's fault. Fathers are what give daughters away to other men who aren't nearly good enough so they can have grandchildren who are smarter than anybody's. Fathers make bets with insurance companies about who will live the longest. Though they know the odds, they keep on betting, but one day they lose. I don't know, go, I don't know where fathers go when they die, but I have an idea after a good rest Wherever it is, he won't be happy unless there's work to do. He won't sit on the cloud, wait for the girl he loved, the children she bore. He'll be busy there too, repairing the stairs, oiling the gates, improving the streets, smoothing the way for the rest of us.
I also have two scriptures I would like to read. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And Proverbs twenty two six, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. So in closing, as we go through the seasons of life, we gain new respects for what and who our fathers are. So I want to thank all the fathers and the father figures here today. We wouldn't be who we are without you. Thank you. You'll stand with me. We're going to sing Good, Good Father.
Lord, thank you so much for just being our perfect Father, God, our perfect Father who serves in us example, a perfect Father who never leaves us or forsakes us, and God, a, a perfect Father who loves us with a love unlike anybody else could provide. God, we pray for our fathers in our life here on earth and those who have stepped in us, fathers, and those who just mentor our children, God. We pray, pray that you will just bless them today, God. How our Heavenly Father calls us to live in relationship to the world around us. 1 Peter chapter 2. Thank you, Crystal. That was absolutely perfect. Appreciate all that you and, and Mr. Jeff do. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse... Let's start with verse 4, even though... I'm going to expound 13 through 25, which is the rest of the chapter. I want to give the context surrounding it because the Bible teaches that we are God's special work of art. We are his poema, his, his poem to the world. And um, the Bible illustrates this in several ways. He's the potter, we're the clay. He's forming and shaping us according to his will and according to his plan. We are his workmanship. He's building a building, which is his church. He also has a a place for each of us within that church. And so he's molding and shaping and forming our lives and placing us when and where we need to be in the circumstances we need to be. So I want us to grasp all that as we lead into what our topic is today, uh, which is how to relate to the world around us in a Christ-like way. I'm in 1 Peter 2, 4. And coming to him, that is to Christ, as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what? What do we do with that now that you've told us, God, who we are in light of what you've done for us? So he says, Beloved, I urge you, you're aliens and strangers here. So abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers they may on account of your good deeds... As they observe your good deeds, glorify God in the day of visitation. So I've just read the past two weeks sermon text, okay? A couple of hours worth of preaching. (laughs) No, not that long. But now here's more of the practical way we relate to the world around us. He says in verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive. Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle. Anybody can do that, right? But also to those who are unreasonable. This finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. What credit is there if when you sin, you're harshly treated? If you endure that with patience. Hey, if you do wrong and you pay the, pay the price, so be it. But, but look at what he says in verse 20. But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with who? With God. For you've been called for this purpose. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. It'd be great if we were reading reading Isaiah 53 with our Bibles open right beside 1 Peter 2, because what Peter now does is he explains Isaiah 53 and how Jesus fulfilled every aspect of Isaiah's prophecy about the suffering servant, the Messiah. So Peter here is is pulling from the Old Testament 
and, and holding up Christ before us. And he says about Jesus, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting. That is an ongoing process and attitude. He kept handing it all over himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. You were continually straying like sheep, but now, now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Father, thank you so much for being so good, so merciful. Thank you also for being sovereign, for being just and holy. Because this text calls us to submit this text calls us to surrender to you. This text calls us to, to be obedient to you. This does not come easy for us naturally, and we need your help. We need the help of you, your spirit, your son. Uh, Peter learned all this through experience. He learned it through the revelation you gave him, through the resurrected Christ. Lord, we need this today. Thank you for pointing our hearts and our lives toward what true freedom is. A freedom of the heart in any circumstance, under any authority, knowing that you are the one true king and the overseer, not only of our souls, but you oversee the entire universe. And you've shown us how trustworthy and faithful you are. May we draw from that the strength and the peace that we need as we focus on you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, it's been a busy week, as I said earlier in the service. It's been a wonderful week. I was able to teach one night for Bible school. Apparently, I didn't do a good job because one of the kids up here thinks that Peter drowned. <laughs> But I'm here to declare you that Christ pulled him up. <laughs> and Peter lived. <laughs> In fact, Peter lived to become the source of what I'm reading at the moment. So when I read from 1 Peter, read with the context that this is the Peter from the gospel who knew all that it meant to be a sinner. He knew all that it meant to fail Jesus. He also knew that Christ had been raised from the dead and he knew everything that Jesus had suffered unjustly and wrongly under the rule of evil men. So that's our, that's our context. By the way, I was declared the best teacher of the week by Ian, Mr. Jackie, and Miss Sandy's grandson. Shannon had him all week, taking him in and out of classes, and he was in there Wednesday night when I taught. And uh, anyway, Shannon says, what did you enjoy about Bible school? Who, who was your best teacher? He said, oh, oh, 
Pastor Neil was, was, was my favorite teacher. And just when I was about to feel good about myself, he said uh, to Shannon, she passed this on to me, he says, uh, yeah, he told us when to go down the water slide. <laughs> so now we know what it means to be a good teacher. Well, how do we apply 1 Peter chapter 2, especially verse 13 through 25? I think all of us know what it's like to spend some time under difficult authorities. So think for just a moment about the difficult authorities that you've spent time under in your life. Bosses, coaches, teachers, parents. I could go on and on. What does a Christian do when you find yourself under a difficult authority and you can't or shouldn't change your circumstances? One little girl in Bible school on the night I was teaching was getting frustrated with me and the circumstances she found herself under. She fell back in the floor and she says, I cannot wait to forget about this place. <laughs> I looked around and I said, is there a door I can get out of here? <laughs> Have you been in that position? I can't wait to get out of this place. Peter's instructions are to people who find themselves in extremely difficult circumstances, under extremely difficult pressure, and under, in this particular case, a ruler like Nero who is persecuting the Christians in Asia Minor to a degree that is really beyond our, our capacity to understand what they, what they went through. And Peter is writing to these particular Christians under that type of regime, under that type of government. Nero is probably the one who ended up having Peter crucified upside down. So when Peter writes about submission to evil authority and human institutions, you cannot come up with a circumstance that he's not familiar with that is the tough case scenario. He knew about Pharaoh. He knew about Nebuchadnezzar. He had seen Jesus suffer unjustly under Pontius Pilate. And he knew what Nero's regime was like. And I will venture to say that compared to Nero's rule and reign, in this particular country, under our particular political systems, every leader we've had for generations has, compared to Nero, been pretty much like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood for Christians living in America. So I know as I teach this, you're going to come up with all these circumstances and issues that might get you out of this kind of heart and attitude, but do not tell that to Peter because he would speak to you about Nero. Google Nero and read what he did to the early church. Okay, with that said, I want to give some factors that Peter puts before us as to why we should have Attitudes and hearts of respect for all people, submission to authority, 
in the, in the way that God calls us to it. And, and I'll work this out. And he gives us four truths, four factors. One is the absolute sovereignty of God. That God is over all and rules all, and in him we live and move and have our being. To understand what Peter is saying and how we respond, we must understand the sovereignty of God. The second thing that Peter holds before us is not only that God is in total control, but that God is just. He is a just judge, and he will work things out righteously. He's never going to get the call wrong about any individual nor any nation. God is just. Then the third thing that I want to show us is that God also has given us himself as an example. His example is going to inform us and inspire us. And then last of all, we have not only the justice of God and the sovereignty of God and the example of God, but the love of God. The love of God. And I hope to show you that as well, and I need to do it pretty quickly. So listen fast, and I'll talk slow. Why should we do this? This does not come naturally. Everybody wants to rule the world. In fact, I'm the king of my own life, right? No, you are not. He is God, and there is no corner in this universe over which he does not declare, this is mine. We all want that little corner left to ourselves, that it's, it's our business and not God's. But C.S. Lewis says, that place does not exist. Our God is too small if we think like that. So why should I submit to every human institution. You do it for the Lord. Look at verse 13. You do it because he commands it. Submit, to your, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. And, and, and there are other words and phrases in this particular text. And I'm not going to reiterate it and go back over them. But essentially, we do this out of obedience to him because he is sovereign over all. Governors and rulers, God has put into power and position to enforce right and wrong. You cannot get away from the truth that in the Bible from beginning to end, it is God himself who has ordained earthly and secular powers under his authority for his will. So we do it because we serve a higher king, a sovereign ruler. We also do it under the sovereignty of God to silence ignorance. In other words, God not only, only is sovereign, but he has sovereign purposes for us being submissive. In other words, our inclination, our default setting ought to be cooperation and humility so that the Christians who were living in Asia Minor would not be called disruptive or hostile or obnoxious socially 
in unnecessary ways. They were not to be uh, named as anarchists, rabble-rousers. This is not unconditional. I'll mention that in just a second. But rather than ignore or demean, they submit to governing authorities for in obeying the government, they carry out God's will. God has his intents and his purposes for the attitude that he desires for Christians to have at different times and places under all these authorities. We are not to use our freedom to see what we can get away with, but rather to serve and to ask what can we give. Since God rules and reigns over every square inch of the universe, and he appoints and removes human individuals and institutions for his grand purposes, in obedience to him and his sovereignty, we do what he says. Now there are conditions to this, and let me point this out. If the governing authorities forbid what God commands, we do not comply. Peter himself knew this. They told Peter, quit preaching about Jesus. The officials and the authorities, Peter went against that. He says, we can't stop speaking what we have known and heard. So they continued to preach the gospel in disobedience to the laws of the culture around them. Or if they command what God forbids, thus Moses was hidden by his mother, even though Pharaoh had commanded that the Hebrew children be killed. She was not going to comply with that law. This is not absolute because our obedience to God and his word is absolute. So the culture forbids what God commands. If they command what God forbids, we serve a higher king and a higher authority. He is the one who has ordained all. He is sovereign over all. Not even a sparrow touches the ground apart from our father. The number of all of our heads, is the hairs on our heads is, is known by him and ordained by him. We are inscribed upon his palm and he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Our heavenly father is over all. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the Lord's hands. Neil, you mean even evil kings? God is sovereign over them? And obviously we can't explain away or explain all the, answer all the questions we would have in light of this, but, but the Bible throughout, many times, God would raise up evil kings for his purposes in his ultimate plan to ultimately do good. And, and all this is saying is that God is sovereign over that. And you've got to have the other aspects of God in the equation to fully grasp how this all works out. I'm not going to sing this hymn, but I'm going to quote the last verse. We sing this pretty often here. And this is what Peter's saying. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be won.
Peter, why should we submit to every human institution? And why should our inclination and habit be of compliance and, and, and surrender and obedience? Well, do it for the Lord's sake with conditions. What are those conditions? Work those out biblically. I have pastors and Christian friends in Nicaragua who are struggling right now. How do you be a Christian under Ortega's evil regime? They go to their Bibles. They see where to disobey and where to resist and where to fight and how to do it. And how to call God's people to react and respond together in love and truth and grace in those particular circumstances. And the church in Nicaragua is having a very difficult time, so much so that it's limiting the work of the gospel there and the ability of mission teams to come. Can we explain all that God is doing in that and why he allows that evil to persist and take place? No, but we do rest on the fact that he is sovereign over all and God will ultimately always get it right. I've got to move on. Not only is God sovereign, but he, maybe this is an even more important point. He's just. So Peter says we ought to fear God and reverence him with all respect, knowing that God will give his favor and commendation to those who suffer injustice. He draws this out in verse 20. He draws it out in verse 19 also. This finds favor. Favor from who? Ultimately favor from God. Verse 20. Who's looking down, assessing the situation? God is. If you suffer, suffer temporarily and you patiently endure it, this finds favor or grace. Some of your Bible versions there say reward with God. He writes this in verse 18 to servants, household servants and slaves in that particular culture. They were the most vulnerable in Greco-Roman society. They had the least social status, the least control over their lives, yet Peter dignifies them as moral agents. People were, who were in control of their own hearts and their own minds, and they could live with an inner freedom which could only come from God himself. True freedom is freedom from sin, freedom to do what is right, and freedom within. So Paul doesn't tell them, hey, change your circumstances. No, he aims first at the human heart and what's ruling and reigning there. And then, with the institution of slavery, it was Christians who understood the dignity of all people who led to this institution being overcome. Of course, it is still an issue today in many places and in many situations. But our ultimate goal is to find favor and grace with God because he is the ultimate judge. He will judge, and he judges righteously. So trust his judgment. Wait on his judgment. Hang on to his faithfulness, his holiness, knowing that he's going to get it right. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. I'm going to turn over and read momentarily there to reemphasize that this is also something Jesus taught, but it's so radical that we struggle to even grasp how one could do it. 
whether or not we could even put it into place, but, it, but we need help here. We can't do this on our own. It has to be Christ in us, Luke 6, 27. Jesus said, I say to you who hear, who hear, who listen, who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. If anyone takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. And just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners can get along and love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. So here's the essence. How are you different? How are you radically different from the world around you? If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Credit in relationship to who? To God. Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same, but here it is. And this is where, Peter, where did you hear this stuff? This is nuts. It's crazy. Nobody can live this way. He heard it from Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend. Expecting nothing in return. Why? That makes no sense. Here's why. Your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is mercy. That is radical New Testament Christianity. We cannot live this kind of life on our own. We need help. We need a savior. We need an overseer of our souls and our lives. We need Jesus. All I'm saying is that when human beings find themselves in difficult, unjust circumstances. Yes, we change what we can change. Yes, we get our freedom, Paul would later tell us, if you can possibly get it. But we know that as long as we're in this life, we're going to be under a fallen authority. If you're truly going to be free, it has to be freedom within, and God has to do it. And he will, and you need to hope and trust and wait on the sovereignty of God and the justice of God. Those are two reasons why we do it. So I'll share a little bit about my dad and some of the things he taught me as an illustration of this second point. See, we don't like to wait. We want it all and we want it now. So our appetites are fallen and evil and we can't wait. But what the Bible tells us to do is wait on the justice of God. And I talked about this a little bit a couple of Sunday nights ago with that group. But uh, a couple of things my dad taught me. He taught me to eat raw oysters. Who, who ate the first raw oyster? You ever thought about that? Nasty. <laughs> but man, I eat them now. Well, not as much as I used to. But I trusted this guy. <laughs> Another thing he taught me to do was uh, to water ski. That was one of our favorite family things to do growing up. I hadn't skied in years. 
But what the child of God has to do, it relates a lot to what you do. Any of you water ski? Man, we got out there as children, Jake and I, and Dad had a boat, and we'd all go to the lake and throw the rope out in the water and make sure the skis are tight on your feet. And you hold that rope, right? You just hang on as tight as you can. Lock your legs and keep them straight. And, and the, the, the tendency is to panic because initially it's tough. Water's pouring into your face and you can't see and you can't breathe and this is going to kill you. And so, you know, the first few times when the boat begins to pull you up, it jerks you a little bit. And what, what do you do? You let go. You bail. You don't wait long enough. You don't stay with it. But then that first time you hang on and you trust that rope and you trust that boat and you trust the people in the boat not to kill you. (laughs) And before too much longer, you're up there. And you're free and you're enjoying it. All the circumstances you find yourself in, look, don't bail on God so quickly. Really, all the child of God has to do is wait. (laughs) Yeah, but we know waiting is the hardest part, isn't it? And Peter tells these suffering Christians, just wait. Just hang on. Because your heavenly Father doesn't miss a thing. He's, listen, this is, this is elementary, but we live as practical atheists. He sees everything that every single person is going through. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. He knows what's just. He knows what's unjust. And we panic and we're like tempests in a teapot because we think that God doesn't have sense enough or control enough to do something about the injustice in the world. And so we argue and we fight and we demean and we disrespect and we just tear it all apart when when what really matters most is that He is sovereign and He is just. And He's proven it. But where is He proven it? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I had four, and some of you wrote down the four. I'm going to do the next two next week because I'm not going to rush through. Listen, his example and his love, once you see that he's in control and that he's just and that he has demonstrated that very clearly, then that gives you the strength and endurance to wait and to wait patiently. If you look at what Peter says, and I, and I want to I wanna go back to this, and, and then I'll close. But we are, we are not doing verse 17. Honor all men. That means I see every human being as created in the image of God, and because I love God, God and I fear and reverence him every person whether I disagree with them or not and we should disagree 
with others because, I mean, we're human. We're fallen. We get it wrong. We are to honor and respect everyone. We are to love the brotherhood, love the church, and have a special relationship. We are to reverence and fear God, and we are to honor the king. Talking about local officials, state officials, national officials. And we got a godly man like David Platt, and and I'm just going to throw this out there, who in Virginia pastors a church. This is a guy I've read, I respect him, he's biblical, he's godly, he's humble. He takes all this seriously. President Trump shows up at his service and he prays with the man and prays for the man and counsels him one-on-one. He took heat and criticism from both sides of the aisle for doing exactly what God calls us to do. Either God's going to determine our mode of thinking and existing and our way of responding, or or we're lost. We're on our own. He's sovereign. He's just. Child of God, hang on. Hang on. Whatever circumstance you're in, hang on. You wait. You trust. You hope. You be at peace. Hey, Peter didn't drown. <laughs> I'll go back to my Wednesday night Bible. <laughs> that was pretty good. Peter didn't drown. But boy, he, he felt like he was. And what did he do? He said, Lord, 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 save me. And the storm was still, and Peter was in the boat. So I think Peter himself illustrates what he's calling us to do in every particular circumstance we're in. Hey, call out to him, trust him, and he will save you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for your love and your mercy. May we recognize that you are over all. You have ordained everything. I know that's difficult for us to understand because we always think we know what the future should hold. And what needs to come next? God, you do. So may we simply trust you and obey your word and see your will and purposes come out through that. For you have reasons, Father, that we don't understand, that we don't comprehend. In our particular circumstances, may we just do the next right thing and trust you with the results. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing how deep the Father's love is for us.
That's some good preaching right there. I needed that. Good, good job. And I also want to uh, let you know, encourage you, if you're not coming to Wednesday night Bible study or Sunday night Bible study, y'all need to come because you're getting a director's cut there. Uh, we really get in the Word. Neil does an excellent job in that. And Sunday school, too. If you're not in a Sunday school class, sign up. And I want to thank all the Sunday school directors. You know, if you stop and think about it, they take time out of their week uh, to prepare for that. And I know the last month or so I've been filling in for some of them. And you, you got to take time out of your week to get, this, uh, get everything ready. So I encourage you, sign up for a Sunday school class. Come and visit with us. On Wednesday night, we have a great time. It's a regular group. We cut, uh, we we joke around, we kid around, but we really we really get the meat of the word, and most definitely Sunday night. So please, please take time out of your week Sunday evening and uh, come and do Bible study with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for a word. I really needed that word today, Lord. Can we live in a we live in a fallen world, and we're